Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing THX 1138, directed by George Lucas, Pig by Michael Sarnowski, The Card Counter by Paul Schrader, Finch by Miguel Sapochnik, and newly released The Tragedy of Macbeth, directed by Joel Cohen. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy Boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going real well. It's going real well. How was uh, how was your week of movies, man? The week of movies was good. Uh, I spent some time in uh, Apple Apple TV, Apple Plus. <laughs> uh, that was a nightmare to uh, to navigate, but uh, excited to talk about nearly all of these movies. Had a very good watching week. There was nothing oh, too terrible, which is always a plus. <laughs> yeah, nothing, <laughs> you know, and nothing too terrible definitely is is, is a, it's a plus. Is a pretty good plus. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start pretty far back here. We're 1971, very early George Lucas. Yes, and uh, let's start it off right away. This is THX 1138. Yes, so I am, as you know, Tom, but for folks at home, a massive science fiction fan, and wanted to give uh, some some background to. The, the man himself, George Lucas, uh, infamous or not, uh, this is George Lucas's first feature-length film and wanted to dive into that to see much how we jumped back to David Cronenberg and leading up to things, wanted to see if I could spot some trends, some some habits, uh, some motifs of, of what George Lucas likes to direct over, and THX was uh, a very interesting sci-fi film. A favorite of mine, Lalo Schifrin, is doing the score on this. Uh, I would say, I don't know, uh, Lalo definitely is the is the most notable part of the Dirty Harry series uh, that and I, I really enjoyed his work on that, but... Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's much flavor uh, of him in the soundtrack. Could be wrong as far as his style of uh, creating a fun environment, but this is a very specific type of sci-fi movie, being that type of post-apocalyptic, far-future, new type of society that was so hot in the uh, early 70s and late 70s and, and kind of all the way through that marks sci-fi of the time. Okay. Uh, we have Robert Duvall playing our main lead. Uh, he is THX 1138. Uh, and really, my best way of describing this film is this would be a man against a future society bent on control a little bit about the the movie, and I'll get into the story itself. There is a director's cut that is now the primary way of viewing this film. And along with 
that director's cut, we have the infamous George Lucas edits uh, that he goes back and changes his films like we have in the Star Wars sagas. Uh, That is adding CGI. That Uh is adding uh, new sequences entirely. And this film, once again, I mean, much like there there is with the, you know, with with New Hope and and, and really the original trilogy, there's a very hard time you're going to have, you're going to find trying to track down the original version of this. This director's uh, cut is now the primary version. Okay, so if you get it online or you get it on streaming apps or something like that, you and, pay for it on Amazon, yeah. it, it, this is the actual director's cut. Exactly. Interesting. Uh, okay. I, I wanted to bring it up because, I mean, if this project is to be fi- is trying to find George Lucas's uh, habits, good or bad, I mean, this his first film may have been one of those first films that he went back and added CGI that is dated already now viewing it today. Right. Uh, I think maybe around like 2004, I think a lot of these remasters came out, uh, at least for THX uh, 1138. Uh, so it was done. So that's when George Lucas went back to the film. I, I believe so. And, and certainly feels like uh, a lot of early 2000 CGI. There's okay, a racing okay. sequence in this specifically that is not in the original cut in the movie. Really? Not bad for the energy it gives to the movie, uh, but again, just marks uh, Lucas's terrible, terrible habit of going back and can't let things sit. He, he needs to add in new effects. He needs to add in CGI. Uh, and I just, I found it fascinating that it doesn't stop at Star Wars. This, I, I mean, I'm going to be watching a gra- American <laughs> Graffiti pretty soon and... Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to do it there too, you know. So, so, uh, so did you watch both versions, or what version were you stuck with? Like, uh, I, does I, he have so much power over his film still that, like, you know, he goes back? I mean, uh, what over thirty years later and doesn't yeah. edit on the movie, and that's really the only one available? Uh, that- yeah, the director's cut was the one I watched primarily. I did go back uh, to just just online and trying to see comparisons of where these edits are new. I was pretty sure where to catch them. Again, certain sequences are entirely CGI and, like, obviously not right, part of right. 71 in, in this film production. Uh, but when it comes to some of the good edits is that there are sometimes some better cuts. Uh, specifically in this film, there are cutaways to a ticking clock that is very stylized and I think fits well. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is, again... Almost hysterically so, <laughs> that George Lucas cannot leave his own films alone and feels he needs to uh, go through them and de-age them, where in <laughs> actuality, they make them more aged than ever. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's no better shown in that racing sequence of this film. Let me talk a little bit more about the, the, the sci-fi itself, though. This is a dystopian utopia. This is definitely of the type of world of Logan's Run or the later half of Boy and His Dog, and clearly was very all the rage before we have a used sci-fi aesthetic in you know later 70s with Star Wars. This is basically uh, a sci-fi in the, in the vein of let's take a pretty you know utopian Star Trek and let's make it a dystopian world. Uh, okay. And that's the type of sci-fi we have here. Uh, it is a, you know, the world itself is a magnification of a lot of concepts, consumerism, work, medication, pleasure, guilt, uh, and it is really just a, a blown out concept of all of these. I, I think 
while this got my sci-fi tingles going, and, uh, you know, uh, Tom, uh, for folks at home, <laughs> Tom knows how prone I am to really being take a, taken away from a sci-fi film. Sure, sure. And really falling in love with it for these reasons. Um it definitely got those tingles going for me. Uh, it has little follow-through, though. And I would say if I have to kind of critique this whole film as a bird's eye, especially the original work of it before the Lucas edits going into this, the stylings are surface level. Uh, for instance, it's critique through this sci-fi world of of work and and consumerism. It's there. It has little follow-through to do anything. It has little critique to follow through. I, I, I don't think it's beyond some window dressings for the sci-fi world, which if I had to do a pass-fail for why I think that goes above in certain sense, certain, uh, certain aspects, if, if that styling is taking on a role in the storytelling, taking on a role for the arc of our characters in some way, that that's going to push those type of themes, those type of window dressings to great uh, and be a better aspect of a sci-fi film for me. Uh, to uh, to me though, this is on on the latter ha- on the on the bad side of that that it's there. Certainly cool to see. Certainly stylistic. Not much follow through on what these themes actually mean beyond that sci-fi window dressing. Okay, that yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to Robert Duvall, though, performances are good. I think. If I really wanted to be critical, I would say it's passable by the nature of our characters. They're in this dystopian kind of world that is heavily controlled, heavily monitored by by robotic police force uh, and state-run kind of control. The forbidden nature of how our characters interact is... Is is pretty out there. Um, I don't think it's it's bad per se, but if there's a reason where we maybe get a little plain uh, or a little bit of a dull performance from Robert Duvall and some other characters on screen, mm-hmm. it's because they're fitting into the role. So I would say it's passable, and uh, but 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 no real standout to that. So when it comes to some highlights of the film, there are some really cool sequences that uh, we we go into that are spent time on how this this world works uh how this you know this 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 particular science fiction uh, uh you know the society is operating and one notable section is uh, is is a prison sequence which i think was the highlight of the entire movie for me because it's very breathtaking it's very abstract uh they're 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 stuck in a void and how this is portrayed on screen uh, with actors, with sets in 1971, it was probably the best part uh, about what I liked about the film uh, are the concepts at play. They don't go deeper. They are very skin deep, unfortunately, and I, I feel uh, that's that's where this movie kind of just becomes, okay, uh, fun for me, a good watch for someone that loves science fiction, especially older science fiction, mm-hmm. but not something that I'm saying, oh, wow, no, that's a, a landmark film or something like that. So, uh, But like I said, I was mostly interested in what does George Lucas's first film look like? Uh, and I can't say I was disappointed. Uh, we see his love of goofy droids in this. We see his love of holograms uh, delivering, <laughs> delivering uh, dialogue and delivering um, uh, lore and and different different story beats from it. 
Uh, and, and even, you know, a, a high-tech chase sequence, it's, it's very telling of what he wants to direct in 1971. But again, what he wants to edit about that experience in the 2000s when he's adding in the CGI... It's very funny that he's he's he circles around the same concepts that we see in Star Wars Episode One and and the prequel trilogy when he goes back to the directing helm. So uh, very interesting to kind of see that, and, and obviously that's affected by his edits that he's doing in two thousand. You know, even though I think the sci fi is there. He certainly has a, a, a serious vision over what this society is of Robert Duvall trying to escape out of this control and this state-run type of the state-run type of life that he has. A lot of things are introduced that are out there. Uh, I think uh, where it falls apart is that even with the concepts uh, George is introducing, it, uh, it doesn't even play to its own logic. For instance, holograms are a really big thing into us, and we actually meet a hologram character. Uh, I couldn't tell if it was he was being mind-tricked into believing he was a hologram because he's a real person. He's touching things. Uh, it just made me wonder, does George not understand the rules <laughs> of the, uh, his own tech he is introducing? Uh, or if there was um, a kind of a greater follow-through on the control and... And um, I'm trying to think here, the uh, the programming, the social engineering of it, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's it's definitely out there, but e- even though, the, I, I, the point I'm making, even though the sci-fi is on full blast here, it is a lot of style over substance, and that style works as a foundation for a filmmaker that would eventually define the genre, I think THX specifically is... Not necessarily you need to race to see, though if you are a lover of sci-fi, the rule always with Tom mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. is that I grade it probably 10 points higher if it's a sci-fi <laughs> than we need to be. Uh, uh, we check When it comes to the daily ratings, we check it, though. Yeah, we keep yeah, that in check. Exactly. But with that said, we will go ahead and give THX 1138 a 61. Oh, okay. Uh, 61. Still, still uh, oh, a good yeah. score. By all means, a good movie. Just a lot of style. Not not too much substance and follow through. So, do you think with like out the special effects and in, like we still just had the original version that that's mm. the version that everyone had? Mm-hmm. Um, like, do the do, does the adding of poor effects make it a lesser movie, or it's just yeah? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. You know, I wonder if you actually saw the original and that's what's available for the people that would that actually is a better movie because mm. it's not messed with. You know what I mean? I, I'm of two minds on it because. We can kick and scream and try to get the old version of it, but is that really ever going to happen? So right, there's right, right. a practicality to, you know, well, hey, this is the version we have to deal with. It's true, yeah. I just think it, it is ultimately a slight against the film because this racing sequence, it's entirely CGI, and the CGI is dated already. It looks bad. Bad, right, yeah. So this, this de-ageifying that he's obsessed with his films what is he in another twenty years going to go back? He's got to go back. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is a vicious cycle, and and I think it plays into that greater conversation that is around Lucas. That don't touch your art. Your art is fine, you know, when you produce it. Let it, it age is, the uh, way it ages. Exactly the way it ages. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And I'll say, as far as the style of the sci-fi, the most interesting parts are the stuff that's created in seventy-one. Again, this prison funny sequence is, yeah. is so abstract because clearly a limitation of how to relay these concepts he wants to get across. But uh, you know. 
Okay. And again, 61. You can't leave it alone. No. <laughs> and 61 has still got into that like good movie, you know, kind of uh, exactly. range and everything like that. Right? Exactly. 61%. But cool, THX. And also we have THX out of it. The the sound, you know, f- yes. fidelity company, basically. Absolutely. Um, Clearly inspired. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I'm really excited for the next one mm-hmm. because I, I have personally asked you to watch this one because it was getting some... <laughs> That's right. You were you were one in the corner for this. Uh, Okay, let's go. So this is directed by Michael Sarnowski. It did. It was a 2021 release, but it's not really in theaters anymore. Oh, right, right. It was kind of earlier 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Pig with Nicolas Cage. Some people are saying it's some of the best acting he's done. Mm -hmm. Vin, what do we have? Okay, so Pig is a uh, a movie that I had described to me as culinary john wick and that was a, a big turnoff for a while <laughs> where did <laughs> you get that from uh, I, I, one, one of my buddies described it that way and uh yikes yeah that was a that was a it was on the back burner for a while because of that reason one because i don't want to i mean i think john wick is is even among my own criticism probably over compared against uh just because of a, it's 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 kind of revenge type of structure that was a big factor in kind of limiting why this was on the back burner for so long, despite, I believe, a July release or something like that this mm-hmm. year. So, And the point I want to get across, while that description, while that elevator pitch is kind of useful uh, in describing this film, I think the best thing about this is that it has three very defined acts Broken up, I believe, almost precisely in 30-minute segments. It's only like an hour and 30, if I'm correct. It's like an hour and 32, yeah. Yeah. These these acts break up. While that first act could probably, you know, unjustly be uh, summarized by this, like, kind of John Wick-style revenge thing, man, is this movie something unique. Uh, This movie goes (laughs) in a totally, totally different direction than what you expect. So how so how about this? Just in the beginning of it, while we start, while we started talking about it, mm-hmm. um, what would your be two sentence on it? You know, instead of instead of like the John Wick aspect, what would you say your one or two sentences of the movie would be if you had to sum it up? I think if I was to pitch this movie, it's like a revenge plot, but it ends up being more in the category of like a great culinary movie like The Big Night <laughs> or something like okay, that. Yeah, okay. it's it's really out there. Okay. It, it, and where it goes, I mean, almost every uh, every act of these three acts evolves to something new and something greater for that reason, too. Oh, it really okay. has this... This uh, because it's not like it's just going one eighty and now it's a new movie in the second act. Oh, good! It's not act. completely. Yeah, it, it really evolves on the themes and builds on these characters, uh, and uh, it, it, for that reason, it is something very, very unique and and worth your time. You know, despite Ooh. if you, you know, would would hate Nick Cage or anything like that. You know, I, I think um, Nick Cage plays. Something much more unique than what he's normally going for. I think a lot of buzz around this is how quiet, how reserved he is. Uh, and oddly enough, I, I, you know, I think it, it's it's probably a Nick Cage I want to see more of. Though it probably could be played out of him being very reserved and and almost not acting. It's almost uh, face acting. It's a it's body language acting. So rather he's than dialogue. Mu- he's a little bit more muted because exactly. I'm, like does he do we have a Nick, Nick Cage freak out? No, I don't. No, yeah, we don't really have a Nick Cage wow. freak out. Yeah. So he's a little bit more muted as far as his animations and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But this is like. This sounds like we have 
good acting Nick Cage. Yeah, we have good. I mean, maybe finally or or the return of good acting Nick Cage. But yeah, it's peppered throughout. It's peppered yeah, throughout. We yeah. had Mandy a few years ago, and I, I, I'm glad you bring up Mandy because I think it's on the caliber of Mandy. But that's a bad comparison because Mandy he has a very much of a Nick Cage freak out in it. Yes, you know what and I mean? what so. a <laughs> yeah, what a ride. wild movie, right. like wild movie that Pig is. has like ten times more heart than Mandy. You know, it is a really personal emotional story. Okay, uh, okay, for cool. It. So uh, basically, the 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 summary here of what we're doing uh, with, with with our characters is Nick Cage plays a man that has a stolen truffle pig, and slowly as this as this film unravels in this three act structure, we have a deep dive into the Portland culinary underworld, uh, and. <laughs> That's awesome. It it really is awesome. It's, <laughs> it's a dynamite. It's 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 a great really experience. really yeah. Oh, uh, I, you, I, kept, you kept this from me. You watched <laughs> it, you get, folks. And I'm I'm getting this for the first time too. We don't. <laughs> oh my God. As far as uh, let's talk about more of Nick Cage subtle acting. I think it's solid performance. I think he's. Good because we don't have a freak out. I was almost waiting on the edge of my seat for the freak out the sure. whole time, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't get that. Uh, and th- and that's where my note kind of comes in is that it's Mandy quality, but without the craziness. Uh, as far as a a recent comparison, um, if anything, I would almost compare this to his performance in Leaving Las Vegas. That he's really almost method acting in the sense that he's diving into his character and specifically diving into the character's sadness and that's what reminded me of of leaving las vegas oh, uh, okay that. on the other hand uh, alex wolf uh, while he feels generic at first to the point that i didn't even recognize him uh, on screen uh he really ends up being my favorite performance here uh it, it he brings a surprising amount to this sidekick role, okay, uh, and a surprising amount of depth to basically be our eyes, our the audience's eyes of how they're getting introduced to this 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 underworld type of feel. The the emotional beats we're all along the ride with him, and he really does a great job. Uh, of course, uh, I think. The biggest film. I mean, I could be wrong. I think Hereditary would would be his his biggest performance. Okay. Uh, but I'm really excited to see more from him, and he brought more than just the sidekick. It was not just the Nick Cage show, uh, like this movie is billed. He is an equal performance, and oh, really wow. great of how they bounce off of each other. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, really creative camera work. Uh, tight on our characters. Uh, I would say. It is a highlight because it follows movement in a very, very cool way. Uh, And if there's going to be any enjoyment of kind of building this as a revenge plot and then twisting it for the audience to be something else, it's in this camera work probably being a perfect match for an an action film. Or, or some sort of fight choreography, but it's used in other creative ways to communicate sadness and 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 grieving. It's it, we're just very close on our characters the entire time. It follows maybe maybe even a little bit handy cam style, uh, but uh, really enjoyable and a, and a super big highlight for me. I kept on saying throughout the entire film. I mean this this cinematography is fantastic. Awesome, so. awesome. But like I said, if I was to pitch the movie uh, when it when it appears to be a revenge plot it, and Ends up being a great culinary movie with a lot of heart. I mean, this possibly belongs in the great subgenre of food movies like The Big Night because it may not be the most 
you know, revolutionary plot or something that, you know, you say from the elevator pitch, oh, you got to see that. But in the execution of it, in the enjoyment of these characters, and specifically for Pig, the real emotional beats, the heart behind this film, mm-hmm. it is it is something to make some time for. I, wow. I think... It totally comes off the screen and to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and maybe that relates to, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're so close with these characters from the, vid- oh, the, the literal view uh, of... What's being portrayed on screen, but also how we how we get to know them so slowly. We're 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 viewing a a, a slow peeling of uh, Nick Cage's character's life, and I, I mean, it really is. By the end, it has such heart and such a message to tell that I was just shocked that this movie even exists. I, I really, <laughs> it really took me by surprise. Um, I would say if there's, if, if, if there's a critique anywhere, it is in its pacing, just because if you are not hooked by that first act, you may, you may kind of fall out with this movie. Uh, that said as well, if a culinary type of film, uh, a film about food, is not your bag, then this as well maybe kind of falls a little bit probably to the back burner. But I would say where it goes into something that hops to the top of your watch list, Nick Cage. If you are a fan of Nick Cage, if you are a fan of Alex Wolf, right off the back, that is where you got to go with it. And on top of that as well, if you want to see... Possibly one of the films alongside Mandy that is going to be lauded as a, a Nick Cage revival uh, or mm-hmm. or return to greatness uh, for Nick Cage. Uh, Pig is is going to hit the nail on the head for you uh, because it really, really is a, a a movie with a lot of heart, and I I'm a strong believer that Nick Cage takes films and, and, and roles and, and, and acting gigs that he can get behind. And I can only imagine that the type of involvement in the grief of this film, uh, in the emotional beats of this film, he was ecstatic to do, and he really portrays that on screen. So, Wow. With that said, we're going to go ahead and give Pig a 78. All right. 78. A very solid movie. Yeah, very solid movie, very solid score. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to watch it. I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I knew it had culinary aspects to it, but just for that, like, if I'm in a mood for, like, I don't know, instead of throwing on, instead of throwing on the big night, mm-hmm. because you know sometimes you just get in those moods. Sure, like, let me watch a good culinary something with like a good story, not mm-hmm. super complex or anything like that. That I mean, I, it's weird to say, but even like, all right, like like a ratatouille, even. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, it's just like, I was trying to think what I'll that throw... subgenre would be. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. Like, I don't know if it would go in like burnt with um sure with uh what, what's uh, his, with, uh, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yep. You know, something like that. But you get in those moods, kind mm-hmm. of that, or in a cage mood, or just a good mm-hmm. movie. Um, I mean, a seventy-eight is it's just a very good movie. Absolutely, uh, and I, I think uh, very good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, I, I was I was happy to to be surprised by it because again, I this was on the back burner because I. I was expecting uh, the hype's just way too high on this. I, I got to keep that in check. And, and really, you get past that 30-minute mark, and the film just transforms. And I'm sure not that the first 30 was bad. It's no. just the second 30 and the third, and yeah. the third act was just better. And that sec- and, and that first act is where all the marketing, uh, all the hype of this film, all those elevator pitches of mm-hmm. John Wick, which is really not a good way to describe this right, movie right. at all. If anything, it, it sabotages the viewing experience. Right. That's where it comes from, and, and it's so much more, so much more heart. Man, that's awesome. I, I cannot wait. I was waiting for you 
to review it until I watch it, actually. <laughs> so I'm probably going to watch that this week. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, okay, so Pig at a 78. Yep. That's awesome to hear. Uh, let's keep it going now. You know, we just have a lot of newer movies. Like Pig was 2021, yeah, and, I, I, and uh, you know, these just came out earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to kind of just catch up on these. Mm-hmm. But the next one is The Card Counter by Paul Schrader mm. uh, with Oscar Isaac uh, in a leading role. What do yes. We, what do we have? So uh, this is a... Um, I'm going to kind of go back on it being a uh, solid week of movies because this was actually a little bit disappointing. Okay. Now. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, already, I'm eating my words. This is a very moody, technical casino flick. Huh. Very focused on giving a hardcore look at strategy, at odds, which is where the movie is really at its best, but also incorporates, I don't know, kind of a mishandled or lost or wasted potential story with our actual characters involved. Uh, Paul Schrader is someone I don't have any watch time with or next to no watch time with. And uh, Marty is behind this as a producer role. Martin oh, Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he <laughs> see. <laughs> you got a bone to pick with Marty, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, unfortunately, I think this, uh, I think this belongs to the category of movies that it is shitty, but I have thoughts about its potential. <laughs> okay, yeah, that that's that's really my best kind of pitch for this. I, I don't think this has an amazing script. Oscar Isaac plays a character that is heavily involved and very, very skilled at card counting, at manipulating card games and being on the up and up. But his motivations to do so are not for fame, not for money, uh, and we slowly unpack why that is the case, why he does what he does. Okay. Um, Structurally, uh, the stakes are a little weak for that reason because... I don't know. Uh, it, it just it just kind of falls short. You know, there are, there are reasons to why Oscar Isaac's character is so methodical, um, neurotic even in areas. But uh, when we finally find that out, it doesn't really have the best thematic tie. And I think it relates to a very poor script uh, or not an amazing script. Monologues are very highbrow. This is where he is going through. Uh, a deep technical dive to how to card count, what kind of stakes you're looking mm-hmm. for, what triggers you're looking for, and that is when it's at its best. When it is at its worst, and I really mean worst, folks, uh, is the dialogue back and forth. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, I think her name is. The uh, we have mm-hmm. yep. uh, the guy, uh, the kid from um, Ty Sheridan. Yep, uh, Ready Player One. The dialogue back and forth, it is so robotic. It is just like question and answer. And the performances aren't terrible for that reason, but it just has no flow. It really feels like a robot wrote this script. Really? It has no flow. It just It's too much questioning. And that's where I want to stress. its I don't think this is the problem of the actor's performances uh, and the actress's performances. It, it's just... Man, it just poorly written. Yeah, it doesn't have flow, and I think it really sabotages things. What's a shame is that again, in these monologues where Oscar Isaac is is narrating over the strategy of odds and 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 the tricks of the trade of what he employs in the on the casino floor, that really is wonderful. That that technical dive is is fantastic, um, but it's just such a weak plot. And and hmm. I mean, being straight up about it, I mean. The the casino elements are honestly the B plot or or the 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 
sprinkling of variety through the main plot, which is why he does the things he does and how he's involved with and how we got into this life of manipulating odds and, 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 and living on the casino floor, basically. Okay. Um, let's talk about, the, I mean, the highlight, if this is... If you are into nuts and bolts kind of casino operation, the gambling scenes are the best because we have a very cool narration uh, from Oscar Isaac over it. Okay. It's very entertaining, uh, the type of info dumps and the the type of even design on screen of what we're seeing reminded me a little bit of the, I'm trying to think here, uh, Big Short. You have these 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 moments where they're explaining economic uh, factors. Yeah, you, in have, a, you have very um, technical and, and kind of confusing things mm-hmm. and how do you break them down and make them simple and bite size for the audience exactly and, and that very simply is done with card counting is done with odds on a lot of different things other than blackjack uh, and those are really enjoyable uh, i really just wish wish the plot was crafted around that Granted, I mean, the plot goes in a unexpected direction uh, around Willem Dafoe's character. He, I guess, kind of plays our antagonist. But even mm-hmm. even in how I'm talking about that, I mean, just the stakes are very weak. And it's a shame because the movie has moments that it shines and is almost constantly fighting to get away from those moments. And it really, oh, That's a shame. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, just, it, it's, it's shooting itself in the foot the entire time. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And I can't stress, I was it, it, throughout this whole time, I was interested in where this was potentially going. I was interested in Oscar Isaac's character and why he is so particular and why he is so detail-driven. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, the answers and, and what one unfolds, the best description, it is just weak. Uh, so, wow. uh, I think... Uh, uh, this movie shines with a very cool soundtrack, and and I think, unfortunately, that cool soundtrack is being layered over the moments that are probably great on their own, and those, once again, are those strategy segments around card strategy and, and, and card tricks. I, I wish it just once again would have been dispersed out a little bit. Um, it just it just feels like wasted potential, and and for that way for that reason, you know, this movie works in two out of three ways: soundtrack, the feel, that's one way; the gambling, the strategy segments, that's the second way. But there is a very big third that it just falls short, and that encompasses the story, the plot, the script the stakes it is all mm. just extremely weak uh and i think unfortunately a cast that i like uh i, yeah, I, I like cast. nearly all these Oscar these Isaac actors great yeah I, absolutely it could not save it and makes me wonder what maybe marty saw as a producer in this the, in the marketing of this uh marty was marty's name was really thrown out there i would mm. say almost even over paul schrader oh, really? <laughs> as the director um <laughs> You know, reminded me of some of the, like the the fast hand movements that was done with um, uh, the M Night Shyamalan. Ah, uh, a lot of the fast hand movements that was done with M Night Shyamalan's movies that he was not even like credited in the marketing material as the director. <laughs> so I don't know. Had me scratching my head, and, but I it's it's a shame because the movie has a lot of style. It just no follow through. And very weak. Uh, wow. With that said, we won't uh, we won't bleed it out anymore. We're gonna go ahead and give the card counter a meddling forty four. Ooh, yeah, forty four. Not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, something. Th- th- this reminds me of there is just like a slew of these um, of the kind of these gambling or or 
poker related movies mm-hmm. that are just like super mediocre like this the, like this is one you have the one with mark Wahlberg, like the gambler there's, oh uh, yeah there's, the, there's like 21 with, with yep. kevin spacey that's yep. about card counting mm-hmm. you know and, and like i think one good one that people kind of like is rounders um oh true without yeah. damon it'd yeah. be interesting to maybe put a compilation like that but they all seem to be like a lot of hit and misses kind of or potential good but just yeah. i don't know it, it falls flat i guess yeah and i mean i don't know i i guess i guess the the my my hype behind this is I saw Marty and of course I think of Casino, uh, you know probably oh, yeah. the 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 king of all of the, all the casino movies. And like you, you said, good, like you got Oscar Isaac and everything like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. you know it, it has it's wasted potential maybe. Yep, exactly. So okay, well yeah, forty four not exactly the best, but uh, okay. Let's see how this turns around here. We're gonna go to once again another twenty twenty one film. Um, not in theaters anymore. This is Apple though. Mm-hmm. Correct first of Tom Hanks. No, no second. Of Tom, Second, Tom yes. Hanks, uh, kind of, he's doing three movies with Apple, mm-hmm. but this is Finch, and uh, well, it's uh, what do we have in with Finch? Uh, with Tom Hanks uh, up to bat again uh, with Apple TV. Uh, first one was Greyhound, and while I wasn't too much of a fan of this, uh, uh, Finch, or rather, too much of a fan of Greyhound. Finch is a sci-fi movie. Uh, it is about a cutesy post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie. And really, I would almost put this into uh, almost a, a family movie genre. Uh, I think um, there's a there's an interesting melding of styles and genres here. Uh, obviously, it's uh, because of the post-apocalyptic nature of um, the world that Tom Hanks lives in. It might be a little bit tough to show this to the whole family, but there is a lot of time spent with the almost Wally-like cutesy robots okay, uh, that okay. is happening on screen. Um, Finch is about a man that creates a robot robot caretaker for his dog and embarks on a journey through the wasteland uh, of what the world has become. For the most part, that apocalyptic setting or the science behind the sci-fi is uh, one of... Uh, I believe the the sun growing in size and the ozone is falling apart and and now the the sunlight itself is 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 intense and 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 unlivable so there's a lot of sheltered segments unfortunately and and we've talked many a times about this Tom I cannot shake uh, this being a covid production because most of this film takes place within an RV or within a workshop there hmm. is no one beyond Tom Hanks in this film that is a human. Everyone else is a robot. Mm. Uh, but there are humans in the world. So once again, uh, you know, I don't want to knock it too much for that, but... Do you think it was... Co- so it doesn't mean it has to be a bad movie. No, you know, this no, could, This could have not. been made outside of COVID stuff and everything like that, but it just something about it just felt off. Uh, my note here, yeah. uh, it, this feels like a prime TNT or FX movie you would catch on an afternoon. <laughs> uh, maybe if Apple lets go of the grasp there a little okay. bit. <laughs> you know? The movie is probably closest in structure to like an I Am Legend or something like that, mm. where it's solo time uh, for our main character. And I mean, there's a dog and all uh, in right. this movie. You know, I hate so. to make the comparison, but is it a lot like Tom Hanks on the island with Wilson <laughs> and Castaway? You know, I did. I totally forgot <laughs> about Castaway. I don't know why. I, um, 
No, I don't know. Or was it less riveting? I, let me give Castaway another watch, maybe. Uh, it's definitely less riveting than Castaway. Oh, yeah, okay. I would say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, I think, I think especially with the wasteland element and literally, you know, the whole reason why uh, his character is creating this robot is to take care of this dog. Very I Am Legend in, in that type of focus, mm. you know, uh, and how, how it's even shot. I hope you like Tom Hanks, uh, folks at home, <laughs> because he's the only one here. Um, it's a good performance. Uh, it's definitely great because I think if anyone's going to hold interest in slowly building depth in a character, uh, what they decide to highlight in the interactions with the robots, what they decide to turn away from and maybe is are, are a little shy about. I mean, Tom does bring in a... And Tom Hanks, not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not, Tom, not Not across the table, Tom. <laughs> brings a lot of depth to it. Uh, and if there's, if there's going to be anyone on screen, I think he is, a, he is a good match. The performance here, though, is... Is tough because the robot that he builds, um, it is a well Finch. No, I'm sorry. No, he is Finch. Tom Hanks is Finch. Tom Hanks is Finch. I forget what the robot's name is. Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, forgive me for forgetting Jeff. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it, the 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 robot is learning. It's an adapting AI throughout the whole film. So slowly, language and full sentence structure and uh, it grows on the on the robot, but I would say that comes much, much later, uh, and for a while, you know, we're, we're having Tom doing cutesy things with the robot. Okay, basically. okay. So, I would say a big plus for me is practical effects here. Uh, there is obviously a lot of CGI, but basically the uh, practical effects are done on certain robots, certain puppet work, specifically for the robot, Jeff. It is a real head on a CGI body, uh, I would imagine huh. probably in the production of it, it's, you have like a wire work leading up to the to the head. Right. I think it was some really great ways to uh, do the CGI and do a robot that Tom has to be bouncing off of in scenes mm-hmm. because you have a real head with with motors and, and eyes, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the optics kind of zooming in and whatnot. And I think it gives it a lot of life. I think uh, if there is going to be a selling point to this cutesy robot. It is the mix of practical effects and CGI in okay. this. So, um, what's the dog CGI, or do they use a real dog? A uh, real dog. Okay, yeah. thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. Uh, overall, I, I think you know if this movie is going to boil down to the robot as well being the heart of it, I think it is sold in that mix of practical and CGI effects. So, uh, definitely a good note for me and. Uh, creative use of me- melding and, and uh, you know combining those two aspects together, that's always going to be uh, a plus for me, uh, rather than just straight CGI. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, you know, I- I'm of two minds because this is obviously built to more of a, a heartfelt family sci-fi adventure. I think the science fiction elements are where it's a little weak for me because this movie felt like it has a very weak commitment to the rules it itself sets up. Okay. The rules of the world, the rules of how the science and the technology exists. Uh, It feels like things are brushed across very quickly. Some things are that they go back on and it just doesn't make sense, but... I'm going to kind of clock it back a little bit because ultimately if this is really going to be a, a family adventure, it doesn't need to be, you know, really sound. I just right, – right, I, right. I, my, my criticism lies in, you know, uh, if you're going to introduce 
your own problems, your own uh, your own problem solving within the script, within the world, and then be weak on the commitment to the own rules that you set down. Hmm. It, it, it for me, it makes me turn my brain off. Where that's not what I want out of any kind of sci-fi friendly, family friendly, or not, or, or any film where you walk away and it's just like, what what are the rules here? Exactly. Exactly. I'll never, <laughs> I'll never uh, forget. Conan, Conan, uh, real quick, Conan yeah. O'Brien. I remember he was he was like it was one of the Avenger movies that he mm-hmm. had to walk out of the theater. And afterwards in the lobby, they're just like, what's up? What's wrong with it? And he's just like, I, I don't do portals. Once when you do portals, <laughs> what, what are the rules? What are the rules? What's the structure to the film anymore? Right. But and anyway. they live and die on portals now <laughs> right, in Doctor right. Strange. <laughs> but it's just the thing of just like, yeah, if you're setting up the rules and then kind of breaking them or not following them or not caring yeah. about them, it's exactly what you said. You lose interest. Exactly. Uh, and, and and again, this doesn't come out of nowhere because the film is introducing these concepts themselves. Right, you right. You know what I mean? So if you don't want to play to that then don't introduce it uh, but for that reason I mean I think um, this film the best elevator pitch I can give it is is it is trying to tell a live action Pixar story very Wally cutesy robot mm-hmm. you know wrapped up in a little bit of a harsh world but yeah how again, was the post-apocalyptic kind of world set up was uh, it cool I like the once again what they're setting up as the the stakes of why they have to travel certain ways or what the journey through the wasteland is but that is a main highlight of where the weak commitment to these rules lie uh, it's in that world itself was so, it at all because it, it looked very I remember watching the trailer it was like very sandy and everything like this and yes, now you're saying yeah. that the intensity of the sun was it like <laughs> was it the dry and hot version of what was it day after not day after tomorrow what, what's, what's the film with Dennis Quaid? The, oh, that's Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> was it an ice version or a sandy version of Day After sandy Tomorrow? Sandy version of Day After Tomorrow combined with Wally. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's, a good, that's a good pie. That's a good uh, <laughs> combination. Gotcha. There. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, not a, not a super hardcore sci-fi setting, but I think if you see this as a family-friendly kind of film, maybe young teenager type of sci-fi it's a little bit more forgivable, uh, and I, I and I think for the reason of the practical effects and 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 some really highlights there, you know, it's a pretty slick sci-fi too. But wasn't really engaged with it, uh, and that's no real problem other than the film maybe not shooting for super you know super dense type of sci-fi. World. Right, right. It, it, the goal of it from the outset is a fun story with Tom Hanks. In a sci-fi world with a dog and a robot. Okay, that's pull, basically pulling on heartstrings a little bit too. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where the Pixar elements kind of come into play. Yeah. Definitely. You know? Okay. Uh, with that said, we will go ahead and give Finch a fifty-six. Okay, Finch. All right, fifty-six. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, if you're dying to watch something on Apple TV, that's what you got some fodder. It sounds like if you want a kind of like a good story between man and animal or man and other thing going mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. heartstring. Maybe just watch Pig. <laughs> sure, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so Finch fifty six, and like we said, that's that. Tom Hanks has three movies planned for Apple. Went Greyhound. Finch. I believe it's three. Yeah. Well, we'll usually, find out. Usually, they, they work in that. You know, right, it's like right. it's like the Adam Unless Sandler Adam. deals with uh, with with Netflix. Right. But that's like uh, Six how or many? Yeah. Like yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Finch. Okay. All right. Fifty six. Not terrible. And I think I think you hit it on the head. Just like maybe younger audience. You know, it's PG thirteen. Yeah. Get that teen kind of family flick. Exactly. That Wally QT post apocalyptic. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. There's a market out there for it, but for maybe sure. not for the mass audience. Yeah. 
All right, so we have one more film left. That's the now playing, kind of like recently released film. We're going to go ahead and quick do our producer segment here, though. And we just want to remind everybody, you know, we don't look at you as listeners. We look at you as producers. And, you know, you producers out there uh, that help, you know, that donate to the podcast and help it really keep going. Vin and I host the show. You all help produce it. And you can do that by going to thedailyratings.com. You go to that donations button um, at the top, and then you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. Uh, so we call it kind of, you know, we didn't we didn't coin the term. It's a value for value model. And are you getting value from this? Are you checking into the website, listening to the podcast? Is it better than Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic and, and you know, IMDb and things mm-hmm. like that? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Our little tagline is fair, honest, consistent. We don't really think that exists with some of those bigger guys. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, we're having fun with this, but we just asked for maybe a little bit of contribution because, you know, this takes time. It takes a little bit of money for sure. And to all you producers who help produce the podcast, you get that producer uh, credit and you can write a note in. We read your note on air when you when you donate money to us. And it, it opens up a dialogue with, with you, produce, with the producers and mm-hmm. and people tuning in. And we can kind of get feedback from you and we can just talk, you know, we can talk film and everything like that. That's why we all started this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a blast. We're having a fun with, having a lot of fun with it. Absolutely. And the biggest thing is, is like, you know, like we said, we really tried to be fair, honest, consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, some, Vin's watching some of these movies three, four. I mean, you watched Dune, when we did Dune a few weeks ago, I watched it five times yeah, before we that's sat true, down. That's true. You know, it's not just like we're just trying to do this to get them out. We do this because we really take a lot of care in this, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you disagree with something, you can, but at least you know where we're coming from. We're not just putting down numbers to put down numbers. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of care in here. Rotten Tomatoes is owned like 75% from, and from Comcast, NBC. Yeah or something like that it's like okay they don't care there's no sweat off their back exactly they're throwing out 100s like it's candy you know so but that's kind of what we do here and that's how we operate you know we operate off that value for value model and again dailyratings.com go to the donations uh, tab and and become a producer you know again to all you producers out there you are the most beautiful people we appreciate it so much and uh, so with that we're going to go ahead into our last film our in theaters now this is uh, one I'm definitely really excited to hear mm. about. I've been excited that you know I knew it was coming. We have the tragedy of Macbeth, uh, again an Apple release film, mm-hmm. but it is with one of the Cohen brothers, Joel Cohen, mm-hmm. and uh, A24 production, which we've been really liking. Absolutely. So the tragedy of Macbeth, Vin, how was it? Uh, this was a movie. I was kind of going in lukewarm to. I wasn't really exactly excited to see a interpretation of a Shakespeare on screen. Uh, this movie, right off the back, is letterboxed. Uh, probably we're going to see a lot more A24 films with this kind of letterboxing on the side uh, and, and black bars and that's, on it. Yeah, that's the aspect ratio yeah. where we're used to like 18 and 9 ratio or yep. something like that. That yep. horizontal kind of, you know... Yeah, yeah, rectangle, and mm-hmm. this is shot in a square. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it, I don't see a huge reason for it to be presented in this way. It's also in black and white, uh, and I, I just would like to throw out there that I still think the king of it is Lighthouse for how it used the black uh, bars on the screen in the setting of itself and in the type of shots that we saw. You know, almost an endless blackness. Uh, there's nothing like that in this, and. Kind of, uh, I want to note it in the early part because if you don't necessarily love black and white films, if you are, are you know, not a fan of this letterboxing, it is, you know, absolutely one of those. Uh, for all purposes, though, a beat for beat Macbeth uh, retelling, and, and and folks, I mean, 
I ain't no literary professor, so forgive me if maybe there's you know a slim analysis <laughs> on the script, but I think this does have some flair of its own from what I remember from Macbeth uh, and reading it uh, in probably early college I want to say and when it when it comes to Joel Cohen directing I think that flair does include uh you know some new characters some sequences some lines that make it a bit more of an adaptation it's very beat for beat but occasionally we get some hmm. uh, some Cohen brothers style within there i mean the style is throughout the film but some just straight Cohen brothers style does it feel like you're watching a play on screen, or did they do a good job putting a play and making it into a film? Does it feel like a film? Yes, it absolutely does feel like a film. Okay. It feels like a play in some things, but wonderful for that reason. Oh, okay, cool, uh, And cool. that's in some setting design as well. Uh, when it comes to that flair, uh, just just for folks at home for that have, have seen this film, uh, there is a gatekeeper character that I tried to do some research to see if it was in the original Macbeth. Uh, the reason why I think this is an addition uh, uh, from Joel Cohen is that it just feels like a Cohen Brothers type of wacky character in the lines that he says and uh, and... There was a bit there, I, I couldn't fact check it perfectly, so again, I, I think, for all intents and purposes, this is beat for beat Shakespeare, and pretty great for that reason. Macbeth is a wonderful story of plotting and conspiracy and paranoia. For that reason, this is, I mean, really, uh, we've talked about Oscar bait, uh, this is a platform for performances, and... You're probably expecting me to talk about Denzel. You're probably expecting me to talk about Frances McDormand. Mm -hmm. I am going to talk about Catherine Hunter. I had no idea who Catherine Hunter was. <laughs> okay. I had no clue of her acting. I believe she's, she was in the Harry Potter films, I think, uh, from when I looked up. It is a 10 out of 10 performance. She plays the witches, which typically in Macbeth is, is portrayed by three separate witches, uh -huh. but she plays one single person that kind of snaps to different personalities. Okay. There is a 10 out of 10 physical performance as far as like body language and body contortion. Okay. The creepiness, the, I mean, obviously her face is her face, but the the lines on her face, the, the makeup work, it is... Uh, hypnotizing wow. on the screen. She wow. was the best part, and and I mean, obviously, you know, for the nature of this being, you know, a retelling of Macbeth, you can't really add more sequences with the witches. It's really just uh, pretty much in the beginning and halfway through to fuel things further. Uh, man, uh, I was dying for some more screen time on her. Wow. I would be very cool, very surprised if she does not pick up a nomination for best supporting, even as small as this role was. So uh, not a lot of minutes on screen. No, no, but, but captivating nonetheless. Captivating, and again, both a physical uh, and and uh, I mean, just just an amazing performance. So cool, so twisted, and, and that it really encompasses where I see this film as. Uh, basically growing from, okay, this is Macbeth on screen, to a creative interpretation because this is traditionally three characters. This is now just one character on screen. Mm -hmm. Something creative and something more of an adaptation is being done there. So uh, very happy to see, and I really had to give some praise because it was amazing. Wow, um, that's awesome to hear. Uh, Denzel, uh, of course, plays Macbeth. Uh, is not bad. Uh, I, I would 
by no means say this is a bad performance, but I'm not sure it's great. I, I My note here is Oscar nod but not win. Uh, I think he's very quiet in the beginning, and you're kind of scratching your head of when is Denzel going to be Denzel. Okay. And when finally the paranoia of, you know, really that, that consumes the story of Macbeth, he gets we get some good freakouts there we get some uh, some very aggressive performances from Denzel but I don't know I, I wasn't I wasn't in love with it I don't think it was pushing him beyond what he normally does it was just Denzel doing Shakespeare which I don't think is a bad thing no, not, at right. all but I didn't think it was hugely creative and if anything pulls back from adaptation to just beat for beat Shakespeare. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. it could have been overshadowed by some of the other performances too, really. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like how was how was Francis McDormand, uh, who we are we just love. Yeah, a, a very big role in Lady Macbeth. Uh I, I think she's leaning more into the initial evil and ambition in the character, which is great. I would say for both of them on screen, what's the best part about it is that they have this build into madness, and it's great to see on screen them go from acting in one way, acting normal, if you will, and then as the pressure builds behind the screen, seeing them crack in very different ways for the characters. Sure. How they break down, how they're dealing with the stress, and how they're dealing with the paranoia of the story. The the film set work, if there is anything that is worth your time to to watch. Uh, it is how the setting is portrayed. Um, we go back to what you were saying, Tom, with, well, it, did this just feel like a play on screen? Mm -hmm. Yes, because the set work is so minimalist, so uh, barren, uh, almost unusually barren, almost dreamlike, but it was. It, it's because of the execution of how much they commit to this style. It, it evolves into something much more. And I mean, I would say the, the, the set work, the prop design, the, the minimalism of what this, how we see our characters interact, not only is it my favorite part, it really does take a storytelling cool. into itself. It works, huh? Uh, as, for instance, as Macbeth, is, as Denzel is, is going into, you know, he's succumbing to the madness of, 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 of his actions, more and more, we see uh, elongated corridors. We see spiraling, um, you know, buttresses and 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 stonework. And there's nothing on the walls. There's no paintings. It, it again, it feels like a minimalist painting, uh, but it really does tell such a story because. You know, you can you can definitely see this setting as a character in its own, or at least a definition of our characters and what they're going through mentally. Uh, really top notch work. It is great to watch. Yeah, because talk about how poorly you know how easy it is to make that look bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very so easy to look at a boring movie Absolutely. when you're looking at you know a just a square black and white box, mm -hmm. and then you have an extremely bland or boring set. Exactly. You know, it's almost like a making of you know you make it hard for yourself. Yep. But of course, when you have a Cohen brother mm -hmm. b b behind the camera, it's just just, you know, it could be, ma be magic. It's yeah. great. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there because this minimalism, I mean, I think if anything, it really flirts the line with just, well, this is a play on screen mm -hmm. uh, or something like that. But uh, I'm telling you, the camera work in combination with this minimalism, it, it tells a story and defines our characters. If there is a reason why I would say, wow, this is a Macbeth adaptation that carves out a spot of its own among, you know, potentially any other, you know, uh, Shakespeare put on screen, it is in that set design and I can't stress enough I mean it was really a huge highlight for me because I was paying attention to it at first and saying 
all right, well, why, why, why is this, this castle feel like a, a Russian archi- brutalist architecture? You know, it's very <laughs> odd. It, I'm telling you, it is a standout of its style and 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 what it does for our our interpretation, our 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 digesting of this story. Yeah, it really yeah. does a great job. That's awesome to hear. I think through that visual design, it pushes this film to be great. And and once again, like I said a, a moment ago, my even my lack of excitement coming into this film, I said, all right, is this really going to be, you know, do I really have to watch Macbeth being played out again? Is it really going to be that breathtaking? The combination of roles and how we're, you know, kind of consuming this story visually, uh, it, it carves out a spot for itself among other Shakespeare on screen. So uh, much, it's just so much out there. Yeah, exactly. And play work, I mean, yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, again, I, I don't want to lean too much into... If these character, if some characters or some lines are, you know, new, uh, introduced by Joel Cohen, uh, if if it's not just a beat for beat, I don't want to lean too much into that because I I wasn't able to fact check it, uh, especially with the amount of movies I was watching this week. Sure, uh, but I think that in combination with that uh, potentially really makes this a unique experience for something that is really an age old tale. So we're gonna go ahead and give the tragedy of Macbeth. And 83. Ooh, Solid oh, as they wow. Come. Solid as they come. That's really good. Absolutely. I wasn't expecting that to be that good. I'm telling you, and, and a lot of that is it's pushed by set work and Catherine Hunter alone. Uh, I'm telling you, give it a watch. It was a great yeah, time. Give it a watch, absolutely, at 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so good to hear. Again, mm-hmm. wasn't expecting it to be quite that good. I, I do have a question about the black and white. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, when the lighthouse, when it's black and white, it was shot in a way where it looks like the film could have been made in the 40s or 50s. Black oh, and sure, white. yeah. Did, did, did the black and white, you know, with, with the image quality, was it sharp? You know what I mean? Was it very almost sharp. like, it, okay, so it was very yeah. good, like almost, I don't know if it was digital or film, mm-hmm. but it had a very Christmas to it. It looked like, it, absolutely. It looked like a new film, but mm-hmm. just boom, it was turned to black and white. Absolutely. Okay. And I think the credit to the, on the lighthouse side is uh, where the, the darks and the black colors bleed into the screen that is cut off, mm-hmm. and that probably plays into that filming style. And, right, and, right. And that still, gets, that still gets the crown for me for the best of these letterboxes because it plays into the madness of yes, these characters. Yes, yes, it does. Okay. Uh, so maybe maybe something to revisit because clearly a lot of films uh, are, are attaching on to this new type of ratio style. Yeah, they are, but yeah. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to make a distinction of the actual, the you know, quality of the film itself, mm-hmm. of, or, or picture quality itself. Yeah, because there is a difference there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. All right, Vin. I mean, eighty-three on the tragedy of Macbeth. That is fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Or should we roll credits here? No, I think that's good. I, I, I'm I'm significantly hoping that I cover bases uh, before Oscar nominations are, are put out there, uh, and then we'll have a back catalog that we can go to. Uh, yeah, but, the good old um, Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Academy. <laughs> but I, um, I'm i hoping to kind of knock a lot of these out beforehand uh, so that it's not this laundry list uh, of a watch list for me or for you at home as well. So Macbeth is worth your time, and it's probably going to uh, be a big contender coming up. So worth a watch for sure. All right. That's awesome. Well, Vin, we appreciate you stopping by and watching all those films for us. Folks at home, we're just going to run through these one more time. We have THX 1138 with the 61%. Pig with a 78, The Card Counter with a 44, Finch with a 56, and The Tragedy of Macbeth with an 83%. We thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs>